Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the 13th in a series of short bonus episodes. This year, They Walk Among Us will be appearing at CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event. Rescheduled from its previous dates in June, CrimeCon is coming to London on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of September 2021. You can learn from leading criminologists, hear from the families and survivors, delve deeper into unsolved crimes and meet your favourite true crime podcasters. Tickets are on sale now at crimecon.co.uk and make sure you quote TWAU at checkout to receive not only a special 10% discount, but you can pick either an exclusive t-shirt or tote bag which you can collect directly from us during the convention. For more information, visit crimecon.co.uk and don't forget to use the promo code TWAU for 10% off. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. Just north of an old toll bridge on the border of Dalkeith, Scotland, 
sits a property called The Nook in Bridgend. The beautiful home with servants' quarters and outbuildings in Midlothian was the place for an exceptional party on February 3rd, 1911. The man of the house, an affluent, respected and well-liked 50-year-old Charles Hutchinson, organised the celebration. Not only was the event held to mark his silver wedding anniversary, commemorating 25 years married to his dear wife, the family were excited about the news their oldest son was to be married. The soon-to-be-in-laws also attended the event. The festivities included a toast, a lavish supper, followed by party games. Accounts vary as to the number of party-goers that attended, but it was believed to be 14 to 18 people. As the evening was drawing to its conclusion, a celebration deemed a roaring success, it was time for one last drink. A coffee. But things were about to take an awful turn. The clock struck midnight. After a speech acknowledging the Hutchinson's silver wedding anniversary and other happy tidings, the future marriage of two of the young guests, the party was being brought to a close. The women retired to the drawing room, and the men stayed in the dining area to smoke cigars, drink, and talk about matters they did not believe the women should be privy to. Coffee was delivered to both rooms by the maids to mark the end of an enjoyable evening. The ladies were served their coffee first, then the beverages were sent out to the men. A minute or two later, a woman's voice called to the dining room. Panic-stricken, Charles Hutchinson and his male guests were told their significant others suddenly felt extremely unwell. At that moment, most of the men promptly coiled with agony and vomited where they sat. Some guests ran outside to the front garden kneeling on the grass, so ill they lost control of their bodily functions, a sight the manicured land of the nuke had not seen before or since. Others lounged helpless on the sofas and the floor in their best party attire. Two of the guests were unaffected. They had not touched the coffee, and it was up to them to help. One dashed into town to get two local doctors, while the other assisted the sick and dying. In attendance that night was Charles Hutchinson, a member of the Dalkeith Lodge of Freemasons in Midlothian, Charles's wife, and their two sons, Herbert and John. They were joined by John's fiancée, her brother and their parents, Mr and Mrs Corrie. The local grocer was also invited, 32-year-old Alfred Clapperton, and Alfred's sister, who was a renowned golfer. Of the numerous guests who joined the party, eight were directly related to the Hutchinsons. 
through the process of elimination, it was discovered the coffee was the culprit. More precisely, the large dose of arsenic that had been mixed into the liquid. Charles Hutchinson and friend Alec Clapperton downed their coffee in one quick gulp. A dozen or more guests who sipped at the beverage like Mrs. Hutchinson became desperately ill but managed to pull through. Though arsenic is tasteless, the revelers who barely touched their drink, finding the flavour peculiar, recovered from the milder effects much more quickly. Doctors had rushed to the house and helped with the symptoms of those mildly affected. However, sadly, they were unable to save Charles Hutchinson and Alfred Clapperton. Both died within four hours of drinking the coffee. It was suspected the victims died from arsenic poisoning. Tests carried out during the post-mortems in Edinburgh confirmed the coffee served to party guests was definitely laced with a heavy dose of the poison. At first, rather than murder, it was suggested in the press the incident could have been a tragic accident. Reports inferred a rare type of poisonous coffee bean might have somehow found its way into the post-supper refreshments. From Musselburgh, Alec Clapperton was not only a grocer but a wine merchant. He was the individual who brought along the coffee to the party. Experts tested the container it was purchased in and confirmed that arsenic was not present. Contaminants were neither found in the milk or sugar served with the coffee. It was also later found that the other bags of coffee beans in Alec Clapperton's shop did not contain poison. It was confirmed the batch was contaminated when it was served. Alec Clapperton and Charles Hutchinson's deaths would have been agonising. The other partygoers who drank the coffee would have suffered greatly. Their recovery long, and some symptoms would remain with them for the rest of their days. The poisoning effects could have presented themselves as many unpleasant symptoms such as red or swollen skin with lesions, abnormal heart rhythm, and abdominal pain. The lethal doses administered to Charles and Alec would have brought nausea, uncontrollable vomiting and diarrhoea, as well as tingling in the extremities, muscle cramps and crippling pain. The cemetery had never seen such a turnout for a funeral. Charles Barrett Hutchinson was mourned by 500 people at his send-off, including his extremely sick and broken widow and his distraught sons Herbert and John. The person pouring the coffee was Charles Hutchinson's eldest son, 
24-year-old John James Hutchinson. He left before the drinks were served. Hutchinson had explained at the time that he needed to go outside to attend to a new automobile he had purchased. He too was well known in the area, a socialite. People liked him. Hutchinson was handsome, chatty, a character. Some associates said he was a romancer. But unlike his parents, Hutchinson was materialistic, frivolous, boastful, and bought ostentatious clothing. He was a gambler who liked betting on horses. Much of his time was spent in Edinburgh participating in the new craze of roller skating while pursuing his hobby of photography. He invested shares in various companies and inventions, and he had seen great success with one making a profit of £17,000 out of the rubber boom. But now all that money was gone, absorbed by bad investments in copper and oil, pushing him over £10,000 in the hole, the equivalent to over a million pounds in today's money. John Hutchinson simply had champagne taste with lemonade pockets. Hutchinson had been working as an apprentice, employed at a chemist in Musselburgh, owned by his uncle Robert Stenhouse. The 24-year-old had worked there for a couple of years, and after learning the trade, he was given the role of a dispenser. He had full access to the medicine and potions in the store. Much like today, an inventory was kept of all stock. Coincidentally, it just so happened that Hutchinson had recently quit his job to live the life he wanted. He schemed to get rid of his debts and the people in his way. Hutchinson wanted to hold on to his wealth and keep up the lifestyle to which he had grown accustomed. He had also borrowed thousands of pounds from at least two men who attended the party. A sum from Mr. Corrie, his fiancé's father, and Mr. Clapperton, the grocer who had died. It was a time of gentlemen's agreements... They were sealed with a handshake. No paperwork would lead back to John Hutchinson to say he owed the money if they were to suddenly die. Detectives first went to Robert Stenhouse's chemist. It was the logical place to go considering his nephew would have had easy access to medicine. No other chemist in the area had sold arsenic to customers recently. The quantity found could have easily taken the lives of all the guests at the supper party. It was discovered that before Hutchinson left his job, a bottle of arsenic and some prussic acid otherwise known as hydrogen cyanide went missing and could not be accounted for. John Hutchinson's engagement was partly one of convenience, not a pairing based on love, but on social standing and breeding. The night of the poisoning, he had been paying his fiancée a lot of attention. 
It was like she was the only woman in the room. She was not privy to his plan. In fact, along with the other guests at the party, she could have easily been another fatality of John Hutchinson's poisoning. The death toll might have undoubtedly reached double figures despite his father and perhaps his mother being the primary targets. John Hutchinson's inheritance would be huge for the time and would resolve the debt he was drowning in. By obtaining the house, the estate and £4,000, he could not only pay the money that he owed, but he could continue with his playboy lifestyle. A warrant was issued for John Hutchinson's arrest. No sooner was Christopher Hutchinson dead, but his son was already spending his inheritance. John Hutchinson had been desperately trying to raise funds to pay off his mounting debts asking a Midlothian businessman for a £4,000 loan. Hutchinson told his associate that he would pay him back when his father's life insurance paid up. The man refused John's request and was glad he made that decision. He found out the insurance company were making their own investigations into the incredibly suspicious death of Christopher Hutchinson. When this news reached his son, John Hutchinson fled Dalkeith, leaving Scotland behind. He was now a wanted fugitive. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hutchinson's mother thought John was just going to Edinburgh for the day, much like he had done countless times before, but he had no intention of coming back. Hutchinson knew his days were numbered if he stayed in Dalkeith or even Scotland. He drove south hoping to leave Dalkeith and his murderous actions behind. Maybe Hutchinson thought the police would choose not to pursue him and just let him go. He could start a new life far from his crimes and become another face in the crowd, hidden among the hustle and bustle of a city in England. He was spotted a couple of times in London once on the Strand in Westminster near where he was staying in a hotel on Craven Street. It was a hotbed of activity, a predictable place for Hutchinson to gravitate to. An officer who was familiar with John Hutchinson was sent to London to join the hunt. Every time a sighting was reported, he managed to flee before the police arrived at his location. Surprisingly, Hutchinson sent a letter back home to his family, telling them they would probably find his lifeless body in the Thames. But he had no intention of ending his life, filling his lungs with putrid river water. He would leave London and travel to Jersey. The fugitive's photograph was posted in every major newspaper. He was known to be using the aliases Patterson and Robertson. Descriptions were released of the wanted man, and they were not flattering. Hutchinson had a peculiar gait. He stooped forward, but had a spring in his step. His proportionate build had recently given way to drinking. For the time, he was unusually tall at six feet had a gentlemanly appearance, was clean-shaven with brown hair, sharp features, a long face and wore false teeth, both top and bottom. A sensible choice for Hutchinson would have been to try and blend in and wear modest clothing. However, he was seen wearing all his finery, a bowler hat, tweed suit, white shirt with a pointed collar, a gold pocket watch and two gold rings. The 24-year-old despised the working class and he could not bring himself to dress in anything less than the best. 
like the man about town he thought he was. The case, referred to as the Dulkeith Poisoning Tragedy, was reported on with great interest, not only in Scotland but across the UK, and it featured in articles as far afield as New Zealand. It was unusual that a man from the upper class was wanted for such a grim deed, against his family and friends no less. John Hutchinson arrived in Jersey. He had travelled by boat. When he booked into the Star Hotel, he gave the name J.R. Henderson and provided an address in Bloomsbury Square, London. He remained in the establishment during the daylight hours drinking coffee, the very thing he spiked poisoning his family and their guests at the nuke just days earlier. Only when it was dark did he venture out. That was until he hurried out the door to catch a mail steamer to Guernsey. This time John Hutchinson checked into another hotel under a different name of Harrison. He confined himself to the common room in the hotel, where he sat reading books and smoking. Hutchinson freely spoke to the owner, but what came out of his mouth was nothing but lies. He explained that he did not wish to go outside, as he had a fear of catching a chill, and the reason for the appearance of stubble on his face was due to advice from his doctor. He was told to stop shaving to relieve his sensitive skin. Eventually, the hotelier in Guernsey was browsing the newspaper one day, and stumbled upon an article about the Dull Keith poisoning tragedy. He realised that one of his guests was John Hutchinson. Monday, February 20th, 17 days since the poisoning. An officer had tracked the suspect to a boarding house in St Peter Port, the capital of Guernsey. A Sergeant Burley, the head of Island Police, was at the point of arresting him after confronting the well-to-do gentleman, presenting the suspect with his picture in the newspaper. At first, the man in his mid-twenties denied he was the person they were looking for, swearing his surname was in fact Henderson. The man claimed he came from Ilford, was in Guernsey for the more favourable climate for his health. Upon check-in, the owner of the boarding house had been told by the man that he had rheumatic fever and was instructed by his doctor to have a change of scenery. The only slight difference from the picture in the newspaper was the man in front of Sergeant Burley was not clean-shaven. He had a few days' worth of stubble growth on his face. There was no point in denying it. But as he had not been restrained, Hutchinson darted upstairs, drew a vial from his trouser pocket and swallowed the contents. The sergeant who chased him upstairs knocked the vial out of his hand, but it was not quick enough. 
The officer made attempts to force the suspect to vomit the poison by administering mustard and water. A doctor was fetched in haste and quickly ran to the boarding house with a stomach pump. He saw a man in an upstairs bedroom unconscious but breathing heavily. The young man's skin was cold and clammy to the touch. It appeared as though he was dying. With the pump, the physician tried to remove whatever was in the man's stomach. But the doctor's attempt was in vain, and John Hutchinson passed away. Among Hutchinson's belongings were a checkbook with the address of a bank in Dulkeith, a sterling silver matchbox engraved with the initials JJH, and a small brown leather bag. A ticket stub found in his pocket indicated he had left his gold pocket watch in a pawn shop in London. He received just over £6 for the deposit. He also had coins in the form of six gold sovereigns and £16 in cash on his person. This would have been unlikely to support a man with his expensive tastes for long. The items were taken to the police station and John Hutchinson's body was transported to the morgue. A police officer from Scotland had travelled to Guernsey to bring Hutchinson to justice. But on the way, the suspect ingested deadly poison, and now the officer would instead be identifying Hutchinson's body. The inquest into John Hutchinson's death only lasted 20 minutes. Sergeant Burley gave evidence along with the doctor that attended the scene. The doctor said that the contents pumped from Hutchinson's stomach smelt like prussic acid, more commonly referred to as hydrogen cyanide. The vial and symptoms the patient exhibited all correlated with what the doctor would expect to see in such a poisoning. The coroner ended the proceedings when they concluded John Hutchinson had poisoned himself in an act of desperation when the officer had caught up with him. A verdict of death by suicide was given. The two-ounce vial of poison had been full. The amount Hutchinson consumed was enough cyanide to kill 16 men. John Hutchinson's younger brother Herbert sent a telegram from Scotland to Guernsey to instruct that his brother's body remain there and he be buried by the local authority. The officer on the island that dealt with the case attended the funeral, along with some locals. None of Hutchinson's family and friends made the journey to say their goodbyes. The presumed motive for the murder was that John Hutchinson hoped to obtain his father's money and discharge himself from his financial difficulties. 
the event left his mother desperately ill from arsenic poisoning. First a widow, and now she had lost one of her sons. All in the space of two and a half weeks. The possibility of a trial died along with John Hutchinson. In its place was an inquiry under the Fatal Accidents Act to be held before a sheriff in Edinburgh. So where are we now? Upon Charles Hutchinson's death, his estate was automatically inherited by his eldest son John, who took his life in Guernsey. John Hutchinson left behind a considerable debt, somewhere in the region of a million pounds in today's money. His beloved car was only worth £300, and the rest of his possessions totaled 100. They nowhere near covered the arrears he had accrued. Sums owed to the Royal Bank of Scotland, a car dealership, and the extras he purchased for himself from goldsmith jewellers and tailors, not to mention the money Hutchinson's associates had given him. It would never be recovered. The Nuke Building in Bridge End still stands and features in countless tourist leaflets and travel books as a landmark to pass on a hike through Dalkeith. The house, from outward appearances, has changed little since the Victorian times and will likely remain that way. It was listed as a Category C building in the early 1980s, which means it is protected from unnecessary changes. The Dulkeith tragedy was such an awful event and so out of place in such beautiful scenery. It will likely never be forgotten. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you want to hear Season 1 of They Walk Among Us and ad-free versions of our episodes which are posted a few days before their general release, head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.